0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Close to My Art. This podcast is designed to offer creative ideas and guidance for other creatives who are trying to navigate their way through the industry, which can be pretty difficult to navigate even at the best of times. Over the years, I've crossed paths with a number of creatives at various different points in my life and various different places around the world, and they've helped to offer me inspiration and guidance along my own creative journey. Some of those conversations have been some of the most important conversations that I've ever had for both my life and my journey as a creative. For that reason I wanted to share those conversations with as many people as possible. Today we'll be diving into the game industry with game developer Lee Bamber. I met Lee around 10 years ago through my dad who also enjoys game development. Lee is one of the founders of Dark Basic a well-known software for video game development that has been used by the game series Far Cry and even NASA's Kennedy Space Centre. Perhaps one of Lee's biggest achievements is the number of game developers he has inspired through the creation of an easily accessible game development software. Today's podcast will be taking place via Zoom as UK lockdown restrictions are still in place. If you have any questions, you can contact us through social media at Close To My Art Podcast. Three, two, one. So, um, yeah, just to start off, I've got to tell you that I'm completely out of my depth here. Uh, I've never created a game in my life, but in some ways that might be for the best as I'm going to be asking questions from the perspective of somebody that has no knowledge at all of the industry, um, which is the position that a lot of the listeners will be in. Um, So just to kick things off, do you want to explain a little bit about yourself, how you got into game development and what's led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, started programming when I was 9 years old. Uh, before that, I was watching my uncle play computer games. But he was also a programmer, so it wasn't long before he was writing little bits of programs. I was over his shoulder watching what was going on. Went back to my parents and says, I want a computer. They said, absolutely no way, they cost £500. That was when it was a lot of money. And I didn't get a computer, except one Christmas, when I was nine years old, I had one present. My brothers had like 50 presents all in a pile, I had one. I already knew what it was. <laughs> so that was my introduction. I knew about games, I knew about programming, and I finally got my first computer, which was a VIC-20. And it came with a boot, and the book had lots of little examples, and you type them out, you press run, and you've got like um, a character A moving across the screen, that was the game back then. Uh, very basic games, but that was my very start, you know, create, I was actually programming before I played my- games on my own computer, you know, you know, the- you could say, yeah, I used to write the games before you could play them, but that's, that's, it wasn't that, you could buy a couple of games and play them, but they weren't that sophisticated, the computers at the time, and they were all kind of the same game, there were three different kinds of games, they just regurgitated the plot. So you usually find yourself running out of games, so what do you do? Well, you start writing your own. So that's how it started. Um, Did that all through my school years. By the time I got to leave school, I chose to go to college for a couple of years. I think I did some, uh, I think it was called uh, national diploma at the time. Did computers, of course. I already knew everything, so for those two years... Uh, I I weren't really taught anything. I was actually helping the other lecturers teach the rest (laughs) of the students, then realized that there was another course that went on that. But after five years, I thought, you know what, it'd be nice to earn some money. So then I joined a publisher, um, worked for them for five years. They contracted me out to a company called Lego. So I worked two years at Lego and helped them build the very first version of the Lego Mindstorms robot which programs robots to climb walls and scan colours and stuff like that. When I got back to my publisher, I didn't recognise anyone. I was like a fish out of water, so I thought, well, I'll set up my own company. Did that in 1999, and I've had that company ever since. So I've been going very strong in the software development area, and, of course, being able to sell your product at the end of it, keeps the business going, et cetera, et cetera. Tapped into a couple of contacts I had along the way to grow the company, up until present day, um, used to be called uh, Basic Software, it's now called The Game Creators, um, and it's uh, the publishers of some really nice, I wouldn't say games, let's say Game Creation Tools, because that was really what I was doing at The Publishers, and it kind of st- stuck, and so as I went into my own business, I thought, well, what am I really good at? I'm good at game makers. So I created all the technologies around letting other people make games um and and that's basically the short version of my career from very first computer to the fat git that you see today
0: (laughs) (laughs) so well well i i actually obviously met you um through the later end of your career because my dad did some work with you when you were at the game creators um yeah like I've got down here about you you found in Dark Basic which then went on to become what is today the Game Creators uh, and one of the things that I really like about the Game Creators is that you have this more accessible route to gaming which doesn't involve learning complex programming languages. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and some of the other product, products that you have developed over the years?
1: Absolutely. Um, there was already solutions out there. You could Um, When I was selling my products, you could get other products which would let you make games and and things like that. But they always seem to require a certain level of skill and to be honest, I wasn't that smart, I had to really work hard to make anything. And so when I uh, sort of put myself in the mind of a customer, I assumed they were like me. I don't know anything, what's the easiest way for me to make a game or uh, to do a thing? And so when I designed and created software, I did it in that, what's the easiest way to do this? And it was actually amazing how you could take what was a complicated subject and reduce it right down into a couple of buttons. In fact, one of the game makers I created was called the 3D Game Maker. And it had one button called Make Game. And you pressed it and it would randomly select Player, Enemies, Scenery, Music, um, Start Location, all Magic Button. And then you'd actually have a game at the end of it. I managed to get a game maker down to pressing one button and actually having a, your own game at the end of it. Um, So I always came from this perspective that, Luke, I I need to make it easier for me. And it just so happened that everybody else kind of got it. that Oh, actually, this is a great product because I don't have to learn programming. I don't have to know how to model and and draw. I can just use this tool because this tool is kind of slightly easier than the others. So that was my particular take Mm -hmm. on... Um, and Dart Basic, which you mentioned, one of my most favourite ones because that was the challenge. How do you make a programming language that's easier than any other programming language out there? And again, <laughs> it's about taking something that normally would be three pages of code and turn it into one command. And that one command did what somebody else has to spend three pages to do. That was a really nice touch mm-hmm. and, and that was probably why Dart Basic was so popular. And uh, it, it took what, what could have been a two month game making project and you could do it in an afternoon and then throw it away because you've mm-hmm. thought of a better game idea. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was how I approach it.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and my, my dad also mentioned a guy called Tony Davis, um, a level designer for Far Cry 2 that used your um, easier to use products. Um, so this is obviously not just like an entry level product that we're talking about. This is also something that improves the efficiency of industry professionals, too.
1: Yeah they um I heard a couple of stories lovely anecdotes about these top really top AAA developers using my stuff as prototyping tools and I'm like cringing thinking oh no 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 really (laughs) are you absolutely sure about that but yeah I mean if you want to knock out an idea quickly why not why not just knock something together get the general shape of it get a feel for it say yeah yeah this is going to work and then hire the expensive uh, coders and artists to do it properly in C++ Mm -hmm. so yeah it was quite nice to hear that
0: it's a brilliant idea, and obviously loads of people have picked up on it, um, and coding isn't just about entertainment either, is it? Um, I also heard about a guy called Stephen Gunther, who used your dark basic programming language to create a lunar landing game, which was then used by the visitor center at NASA's Kennedy Space Center for simulations, so coding can be used for all sorts, including education and science too, would you say? Absolutely.
1: In fact, um, I was a bit worried when I I first heard about his project that it was using my (laughs) programming languages and tools at NASA. Because I immediately thought of this rocket (laughs) hurtling towards the sun, having not put the brakes on at the right time. And I was really pleased to hear that it was for entertainment and education value that Mm -hmm. he built the simulator um, and he went on to do other things as well and uh, what a great set of ideas and I was always honoured that someone could take my little tool, almost a hobby uh, uh, product, and then do something amazing and almost world-changing with it. So yeah, it was really great to hear these little stories.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Um Of course, if people enjoy the idea of working in the game industry but don't like the idea of coding, there are also a lot of other jobs, aren't there? Um, Sound engineers, 2D artists, 3D animators, music producers, and plenty of other jobs that people can explore. Um, Can you diverge a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah. Um, In fact, I taught at JMU for a couple of years, and this was on my opening... I said my opening two lectures, which was, if you think games industry professionals are all coders <laughs> then you really need to rethink that, that map, in fact I think we're a minority in the industry right <laughs> now, it is cram full and it's not just your creative types, it's easy to think you've got your coders and your artists, your musicians your level designers and you know, all the people who are going to make stuff there's these layers above it, it's, it's producers project managers, you know people who are good at um, going out and finding out what customers want you know, uh, marketing and, and PR and all that, all these people. And it uh, starts to resemble... I remember back in the day, we weren't even an industry. We were, like, messing about. There was no games industry. The movie industry, the the mu- music and movies industry, they were huge. We weren't even industry. We were just some snotty-nosed teenagers with Ferraris. But then, all of a sudden, last 20-odd years, the games industry is... now. Sh- all-encompassing and huge, we're bigger than the music industry. I suspect we're bigger than the movie industry. I don't really know the I stats. I think you are.
0: But I've heard that you are.
1: Yeah, we're just like we're the new rock stars. And <laughs> as you might expect, with an industry so massive, it contains literally every job position there was in the music industry and in the movie industry, and then a little bit more because there's so much cutting-edge technical stuff that has to happen all the time in the games industry. We're not sitting on those laurels right, we've figured out how cellulose works, so we'll just use that for the next 20 years. Always innovating, mm-hmm. and that, I think, is what's keeping me in the industry because it's so much fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you've already kind of answered my next question um, in that there, but do you think that, um, obviously, like, what you do is really fun and creative. Do you think that, for that reason, the market's oversaturated, or do you think that there's going to be increasing amounts of job opportunities for like-minded people like yourself that are wanting to get into the game industry.
1: Yeah, there's actually a shortage. Um, huh. It's uh, it's a pity, really, because I've I've been spent some time in education and looking at what's coming through. I wish there were more of that creative element. The the, the coders the the musicians, the artists with technical proficiency. Not just that they can draw a pretty picture, but they can draw it in 17 tools. They know how to take a format, convert it to something else and get it here, there, everywhere. Coming out of school with that skill, you'll instantly get a job because the industry needs them. They absolutely need those skills. And what actually happens right now is you come in and say, I have an interest and I'm passionate and motivated and I know a little bit. And it's the, it's the, um, it's the, The companies that have to train you up to take you the rest of the way. It would be great if the education could be done earlier so that then you could just not just step into a a junior role, step right into the position that company actually needs. They don't want to train someone up for two years. They want someone who already knows how to get a 3D model, animate it, convert it, work with the coders to get it in the game as quickly as possible. That's what the companies want, and there's a shortage of people like that. It's happening. I just like Mm -hmm. to see it happen a lot faster.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, what advice would you give to somebody that wanted to get a job in the game industry? In that case, do you think it's more important to be creating games yourself um, than seeking a formal education in in, in programming or, or whatever route you want to take?
1: Uh, I could get in trouble for answering that one, and I will. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll draw from my own experience. I would definitely go the do-it-yourself route. Learn the things you're interested in, Find your passion and get really good at it. Then compile the biggest CV you can think of with all of the projects that you've done, all the material you've created. Walk into a job interview with that booklet, that CV, with all the stuff you've done, you've got the job. Because it shows you want to create it, you're doing it off your own back, you're self-motivated and you can do the the thing that you've gone in um, to do. That's what I do. I went into my first interview with a rack of qualifications. I had all these things, um, distinction-level qualifications. They didn't even look at it. Didn't even look at my big raft of qualifications. What they did see is all the games I'd created by the time I was whatever age it was when I got my first interview. Mm-hmm. Another little pride point. First ever interview I ever got at a games company, got the job immediately.
0: That's, that's brilliant.
1: <laughs> and Yeah, it's because, you know, if you know the stuff, it comes through. You Mm -hmm. get questions asked, you answer them from personal experience, not because you read it in a book. So, yeah, I know there's value in qualifications and studying for 10 years, but seriously, when you get your job, they'll throw 90% of it away and then teach you some new stuff, some up-to-date, relevant stuff. Mm -hmm. So you may as well learn that off your own back. Get the latest knowledge that's particular to your craft, walk into the interview with that stuff. I think you'll definitely get the job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, everyone that I've spoken to on this podcast has, uh, I've all said the same thing, you know, education is valuable, but at the end of the day, by the time you get to education, you should already be doing it. You should be fully involved in in, in whatever it is that you're passionate about. Um, But that's great to hear again. Um, Yeah. Like going back a little, what, can you tell me a bit more about um, the first game that you ever created and what that, that journey was like for you? Obviously not having any experience at that point of what you were creating.
1: Uh, it, you wouldn't today you wouldn't even call it a game I think it was oh yeah it was an asterisk you know a character asterisk mm-hmm. and you could use the up, down, left and right arrows and it moves around and remember back then you didn't have up, down, left and right you only had up and right and you had to hold down shift and then press up for down and hold down shift and right to get left didn't have four no there's four arrow keys no, that was extravagance And so my Mm -hmm. star would move around, and then there were some other characters milling about randomly, and if you contacted them, then you'd get killed. You couldn't win the game. You would literally just have to move around and survive for as long as possible. So that was my first what you would call uh, an arcade game, but the one I was really interested in was my text adventure. So Text Adventure, you read uh, text on the screen, it tells you where you are, and then you've got some basic instructions to move around different locations within that game. But everything happened as text. If you something happened to the player, you would read it as a sentence, uh, and that was good fun. But yeah, you wouldn't recognize them as modern games. These were the... Mm-hmm. the Um, The most basic games because the computers, and I am not kidding, the one I was on, had 3.5 kilobytes of memory. That's 3.5.0.0 bytes. There is nothing you can do with that amount of memory today of any practical Mm -hmm. value. You could store one string in in memory today that size. But back then, that was all the memory we had to create entire games. I can't actually mm-hmm. believe now, thinking about it, how we could possibly have done that. But we did, but the games were pretty rubbish.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess that's an attribute to your, your creativity, that you, you actually managed to create something from that, you know, such, such small amount of resources.
1: Desperation must be equal parts <laughs> creativity. But, you know, it forces you to think, how um, to utilise resources as best as possible. It puts you in good standing later on when you have more resources, but you need to do more sophisticated things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I I used to to say that modern programmers are kind of lazy because they've got megabytes of memory and they don't have to care if they use one or two factors more or less of that resource. But that's—I've mm-hmm. I've changed my opinion since then. There are new challenges, more sophisticated things to do, and you need that memory if you're going to do them. Mm-hmm. But I do pride myself that yeah, mm-hmm. give me five K, and I could probably write a game inside it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a happy medium, isn't there? I think um, talking—I'm talking from a music perspective here, but having access to loads and loads of sounds that you can just download online, you know. Uh, hook them up to your synth um, can actually take away from creativity sometimes. Sometimes you need to have four synth sounds and, and y- you can work with that. So like what you're talking about, sometimes having having less space makes you get more creative with the few things that you have rather than having this these vast amounts of things that can be confusing. You don't know where to yeah, start. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I recognise that in my own uh, experiences. It's almost like the thing you create because you only have one tool, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be completely unique. Now another another person might have like a collection of things but five other people have the same collection of things it's going to be a variation on those five things and that's what they produce still creative mm-hmm. it's still a creative effort but the guy who actually is drawing from no prior art and is actually generating it from the ground up out of the clay yeah. of, of imagination, that's going to be as weird and as wonderful as your imagination can create. Uh-huh. And I agree, I think. That's where you get the unique stuff from. Mm-hmm. might be terrible, but it's unique.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, is there is there um, something that you would recommend, like a game that you would recommend somebody to start out creating? If they've not created a game yet, they've got a passion for it, um, what would you say the equivalent of your Asterix game is today?
1: Great question. What is the ultimate? Oh, does it teach you all the basics? I'd say Snake. You know the Snake game yep. used to have them on the mobile. So it's, on, the, on the Nokia? Yeah, it's like starts off like four squares long. You can move it around. If you eat its own tail, that's end of game. But the snake gets slowly longer, so it gets harder to avoid your own tail. And apples randomly appear that you eat, so the snake tail gets even longer. You get bonuses, so it speeds up. So you get everything, all the ingredients, you get action, you've got input, you've got win, you've got lose, you've got progressive difficulty, you've got little interesting introductions which make the game last, it plays longer. Um, That would be a great game for people to start with.
0: Yeah, I I would Mm -hmm. probably go that way. Okay, okay, brilliant. Um, You've also done some work in education. Am I right in thinking that you've taught at some local schools near you, is that right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I used to want to be... I mean, when I went to work, I had a choice after uh, college. I could become a professor, master's degree, PhD, all that wonderful thing, or I could go and get a job. And I wanted some money. So I tough to, have to it. and I always wondered what it would be like if I was a professor. So I think after about 10 years, I thought, I'll sign up for some lectures and doing bits and bobs. So as I mentioned, I did the JMU thing, and they actually paid me a little bit of money. And then I also did some local appearances in my local college and other places. Then I did some conferences, so speaking at things like GDC and the what used to be the Intel uh, Developer Forum. So on stage with anything from 10 people who were bored out of their minds, all the up to 500 people Where down at uh, Brighton. They have a big games conference there. That was fun. They didn't tell me there'd be 500 people showing up. My presentation was a bit of a joke. A um, bit of a silly presentation, and then I had 500 extremely serious faces looking up at me, expecting me to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Anyway, I think they enjoyed themselves. I don't know how much they learned from it, but yeah, I've, uh, I have I have a soft spot for education because I think it's kind of what we do in this industry. We never we never stop learning, and the education that I tapped into is like I do want to share what I've done. I think that's why I produce game makers. I want other people to do what I do. And make it easier for them. And education, and, and conferences, and presenting is another way of doing that. Showing people that right, you can do it the long way, or oh, this is the short version. Hopefully, it's helpful. Go out and enjoy what a great industry um, the games industry is. And people say, "What's the best job in the world?" I say, it's "Mine." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a brilliant thing that you're doing. You know, if you, I think if you can manage to to create yourself whilst also enabling and teaching other people, that's fantastic. You know, it's fulfilling in the best way possible. Um, Of course, we've talked a lot about coding um, as well, but how important is, um, I mean, well, to be fair, my understanding of coding, I've only seen my dad do it. It's like letters and numbers on a screen. I don't know anything about it. It doesn't look particularly creative to me, um, but what I was gonna ask you is, aside from coding, um, how important is creativity in bringing your games to life? But I don't know if coding is actually quite creative in itself.
1: Back in the day, it was just the coder and you created the code, you know, the game came out of how good you were as a coder. So if you could do interesting new things with the code, you'd have new and interesting things in your game. It's different now, and I think it's important with a modern audience to understand. the. You still have to do a lot of creative coding, but it's a bigger team now. You have a level designer, you have story and narrative, you've got people who write novels for a living coming in and saying look this has to be the pace of things and then you get someone that's saying well this needs to loop it can't just be something you just knocked off up on a piece of graph paper it has to loop right it has to be consistent across 20 levels or so and then you got Mm -hmm. the audio and seriously audio we'd stick in at the last minute once all the game's done we're throwing a couple of sound effects knock out a tune and we're done a loop and that's it that's all of the game audio no there's an entire building just for the audio of a modern game so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, th- that's basically it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's no longer just the code of being the creative. It's everyone in the team bringing their creativity to this common goal of producing a modern game. And a modern game, the expectation of a modern game, it is, it's, it's, it's more complicated and bigger than a movie. There's really mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts, and any one of those parts can break. And even after everything works perfectly, if the audience doesn't like it, it's also a fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the creativity is not just coding, it's, it's everybody in the team.
0: Hmm. I mean, obviously being very passionate and close to your work um, and collaborating with all of these people, do you ever find it difficult to um, trust that collaboration, other people to do as good a job on the, the music as you've done on the programming or anything like that? Do you ever get a bit too attached or is that not something that happens for you?
1: No, because I'm rubbish at music and I'm rubbish at art <laughs> and I'm rubbish at level design and I'm rubbish at stories but I'm brilliant at coding. Mm-hmm. Now, if if the presumption that some musician came up to me and says, right, get out of the way, I'll do the coding, then yes. I'd say, no, no, yeah, stand yeah. back. So everyone has their proficiencies, and the trust doesn't come from intimately knowing what they're doing, because we don't. The trust comes from the fact that, look, I'm good at my bit, and I know you're good at your bit because I've seen what you're doing, and, and it's good, and I could never do that. So it comes from mm-hmm. seeing it. I don't need to have faith. I have eyes and ears, and I can see that it's good, and I know that, wow, you put your stuff with my stuff, and then this person's stuff, we're going to have an awesome game, and that is how it works, and it, and it unfolds in a way like, you really get buzzed after about, it's like, I used to be a lone wolf, you know, it's lo- lone wolf, the term lone wolf means I did the coding, the art, the sound, the, um, the selling, um, the customer feedback, all that kind of stuff, There wasn't really any social back then, but I did everything. And in recent years, I've learned that the team is the strength. It's the idea of having everyone who's brilliant in their particular proficiency coming together under a single plan and producing a single thing. That's a lot more stronger than that lone wolf formula. You can do it lone wolf, but the team is a lot stronger.
0: Hmm. I'm really, really glad that you said that because I think there's a real beauty in collaboration and um, bringing projects together that way. I mean, all of the biggest projects are massive collaborations. You know, the biggest movies, the biggest games, the biggest tracks. Um, so yeah, that's fantastic. Um, last couple of questions now. Um, where Where do you personally look for inspiration?
1: Inspiration. My own. Imag- my own head, really. Mm-hmm. I'll, I have amazing dreams. I mean, and then I wake up, I think. Wow, that was a weird dream. And right up until the, the first cup of tea, it's floating around. And they're always weird and different. So anytime I sit down and say, right, Lee, think of something original. There's ten things just waiting there. The problem isn't coming up with something cool and unusual and, and imaginative and creative and stuff. It's deciding which one to work on mm-hmm. and throwing the other nine away. And here's the worst part. Once you've picked it, it's going to take you two years to turn it from an idea into something you can sell so you got to pick that one brilliant idea very carefully because uh-huh. you can sign years of your life away to actually turn it into a reality mm-hmm. but in terms of how do i come up with stuff it literally just pours out my eyes <laughs> i don't really have to work at it it's it's the pro- the, the the professionalism now is trying to yeah, this is a great idea, but I'm in the middle of something that's important. So I'll put it to one side, I'll write it down, I'll file it away, but mm-hmm. I don't let it distract me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably something you learn later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: uh, so this is my final question for you. Um, what do you think the future of gaming will look like for both game developers and the game consumers? Um, great question,
1: great last question. I would say... And this is, again, I'm full of this sort of what's next because that's actually when you create, you're thinking about the future, you're creating the future. I see the future of games devolving into more of an experiential thing. It won't be games for game's sake in a little box. Computers will evolve into this sort of experience level where everyone, you know, you won't even have movies anymore. There will be no games, no movies. They'll blur into an experience. The experience will be delivered. Currently we call it VR or augmented reality, but in the future it will be full immersion. I don't know what the technology exactly will be, but you'll be able to switch it on. You disappear from the real world and you enter this other world and in this other world, it's everything. It's not just games or movies, passive experience or limited interactive experiences. It's another world and within that world that will be this new formula. So, yeah, and that will happen in my lifetime. I'm looking forward to, you know, putting Mm -hmm. on some contact lenses and flicking a switch and suddenly I'm on the planet Mars. I'm Uh literally on the planet Mars because it's actually broadcasting live and I can actually get in that rover and drive it around myself for five
0: minutes. How amazing would that be?
1: And it's real. So I see that. It's not just going to be more and better games. It will be sort of this merging of all our current entertainment forms into something that's even more immersive. And I'm so that, looking forward to
0: it. That, that really reminds me of um, an episode of, of Black Mirror. I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but um, the, the, in the final series, I think it's called Viper. And they have some of that kind of technology that's similar to that. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be pretty incredible black mirror is awesome it's amazing awesome can't get enough of it i don't think we need it in 2020 2021 with all this pandemic stuff but i can't wait for it to be back but yeah 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 well thank you so much for for coming on and spending the time chatting to me that's been fantastic
1: no worries anytime
0: cool well um i'll speak to you soon thank you that's all we have time for today but there will be a new episode released on the last day of the month every month this year so do look out for that also you can follow us on our instagram at close to my art podcast where you'll receive updates on future episodes and whatever else we've got going on at the time so thank you very much for listening and i'll see you next time